The following is brought to you by Will Harris, Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. Welcome, everybody, to the Politics, Politics, Politics program for April 8th, 2022. Your old pal Justin Robert Young here from Austin, Texas. We got a, I think, a very interesting show. It's one of those shows where you're going to be able to go and and be smarter when you talk about things. I always love that. Something y'all can take away and use. So not only are we going to talk about one a thing that I've known about for a long time, I don't know how many other people that aren't from Florida know about, and that is the Reedy Creek Improvement District. Sounds boring, right? Well, it's the mechanism by which Walt Disney World is allowed to have its own government. Bet you didn't know that. Many people don't. That this is, it's not taxable. (laughs) It is its own government. How that came to be and why it is currently being threatened as part of the current culture war between Disney and DeSantis. Then we will do an attack ad roundup. We are in the midst of uh, some pretty competitive primary seasons. And with that, we've got television ads. Georgia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, they are all represented in this tour around the Eastern Corridor to see what's going on, the televisions of the very, very, very oversaturated and annoyed. And finally, we will be speaking with Joe Uzinski. He's one of our favorites. He's been on before. He, at the University of Miami, specifically studies conspiracy theories. You know, those things that people believe. We've talked a lot about them over the last few years, but we're going to have a conversation about collective trauma and conspiracy. Because as we begin to unpack everything that's happened over the last two years into our third year of COVID, which even if it's not over it's also now not new i wonder what that does historically to conspiracy theories and what it's doing currently all that bird the reedy creek improvement district created by Florida state lawmakers in 1967 acts as Walt Disney World's own government (laughs) with two cities and land in not one but two central Florida counties, Orange and Osceola. Put simply by Jim Clark, a local political analyst for News 6, in effect, they're their own city. They can zone the way they want, 
They can do things the way they want. They could even build a nuclear power plant if they want. That's the kind of power that exists in Walt Disney World. And the reason why is really going back all the way to Walt Disney himself. Famously, while Walt Disneyland in Anaheim, California became more and more popular, what Walt really didn't like is the fact that he didn't buy enough land around Disneyland. And so, right across the street, then as it is now, there are decidedly less than kept properties that make Disneyland cheaper looking by proxy. Now, in our modern world, it's actually kind of cool that the Anaheim Convention Center is right next to Disneyland and you can kind of walk from one to the other. Walt was annoyed. Walt didn't want there to be other humanity next to his godlike theme park creation. He needed space. And so, after a nationwide search, he began to fixate on Central Florida. Through, and this is a whole other story, but it's well worth going into, a lot of cloak and dagger stuff where he wound up buying up various parcels of land. There's debate as to actually how much of this was an inside job uh, uh, through buddy-buddy paid-off government officials. But he eventually buys all this land. And it's pretty cheap, too. It's like $5 million for all the property that he needs. And this is after his death. He gets his absolute wish. Not only will he be able to operate totally independent outside from government scrutiny, he will also be able to be taxed in a more advantageous way than he would be if he were paying to several cities and various different counties. Why are we bringing all this up? Because of a man by the name of Spencer Roach. Spencer Roach is a Republican state legislator in the great state of Florida. On March 30th, he tweeted this. Yesterday was the second meeting in a week with fellow legislators to discuss, to discuss a repeal of the 1967 Reedy Creek Improvement Act, which allows Disney to act as its own government. If Disney wants to embrace woke ideology, it seems fitting that they should be regulated by Orange County. I'm sure Roach just didn't have enough characters to mention that they'd also be regulated by Osceola County. In case you've been under a rock, this is all about the don't say gay bill. That's what it's called. Now it's a law. Effectively, on the thumbnail version of it, the law itself says that there cannot be instruction for grades kindergarten through three when it comes to sexual or gender ideology. Now, this is disputed by opponents of the bill who say that there is a uh, foreword to the bill that draws things more broadly, that this isn't about instruction. It also bans discussion, which is a whole different thing that takes it away from lesson plans and makes it more about policing whatever conversations that might go on in the classroom. Either way, Disney found themselves in a rock in a hard place. Initially, their new CEO, which you know he's become very eager to not get into political conversations, said that they would not be entering into this political conversation. 
that was met with a lot of reaction, not only from inside Disney, but from outside in the media as well, to the point where he eventually called Ron DeSantis and said he was opposed to it. Now, Ron DeSantis, who is about to win re-election to governor in a race where I don't think he's going to have to even mention his opponent's name, whomever it might be, is doing something interesting. Because in Florida, at least in statewide politics, you should make a habit of not pissing Disney off. They're one of three main entrenched power players in the state of Florida, the other two being Big Sugar and the Seminole Tribe. So, with DeSantis saying that Disney's corporate politics are something that he doesn't appreciate, those under DeSantis are following his lead and looking to stick out they are going even farther. And so we have this tweet from Roach saying that the underpinning of Disney World itself could be yanked out from under Mickey Mouse. Now, personally, I don't think that this is possible. <laughs> I honestly don't think that there is a, 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 a possibility that this would ever, ever happen. But in case we need to know more about Reedy Creek, let's go ahead and, and, and see what Reedy Creek says about itself. In the mid-1960s, the Walt Disney World Company proposed building a recreation-oriented development of 25,000 acres of property in central Florida. The property sat on a remote era area of Orange and Osceola County, so secluded to the nearest power and water lines were 15 miles away. Neither Orange nor Osceola County had the services or the resources needed to bring this project to life. And so, in 1967, the Florida leg State Legislature, working with Walt, uh, the Walt Disney World Company, created a special taxing district called the Reedy Creek Improvement District that would act with the same authority and responsibility as a county government. Walt Disney World could then move ahead with its vision to turn 38.5 square miles of largely uninhabited pasture and swampland into a global destination resort that welcomes millions of visitors each year. For more of the nitty-gritty details on how this came to be, here is the YouTube channel City Beautiful explaining. Now, special districts were then and are now a fairly common form of local government, even though they fly under the radar for most people. Utility districts, irrigation districts, and park districts are all examples of special districts. They are usually established to administer one thing. Disney wanted to administer everything. The company had another problem, too. Special districts, like cities and counties, are administered by boards that are elected by the residents of the district. Disney officials recommended that they never build any homes on the property, so essentially the company would have total control over the special district board and wouldn't have to appease residents of the district. Now, Disney himself wanted to build his experimental prototype community of tomorrow, or Epcot. The original plan for Epcot was not the weird combination of dated technology pavilions and people-scale country dioramas it is today, but instead a new vision for urban living that would be the home to real people. So how did they solve this problem? When the state legislature created the special district in 1967, dubbed the Reedy Creek Improvement District, they granted voting rights to landowners only, and landowners got as many votes as acres they owned. Long story short, Walt purchases a ton of land, gets all the control he wants, and it's worked out ever since, even after Walt died. Florida diversified its tourism industry from being about beaches to beaches and theme parks and cocaine. Sure, 
The state doesn't get the tax revenue from Disney like they do other theme parks in the area, but the mouse is the straw that stirs the drink. Would or would Universal Studios be in Orlando if it weren't for Disney? Let alone SeaWorld? Let alone Legoland? I think it's probably pretty clear the answer is no. So what would happen if... Uh, uh, with with bloodshot eyes, the Republicans did the impossible and decided that they were going to alienate Disney World from the state. Well, they'd probably be publicly tarred and feathered. I mean, Disney World is literally built on the concept of being beloved. Them taking it out or diminishing it in Florida would not be the fastest way to win a popularity contest. But there's also a lot of very, very interesting city issues. Walt Disney World isn't just a random road stand in the center of a swamp. It's a massive, massive, literal city unto itself. These counties would not be equipped to immediately handle what it would take to run the kind of city operations that they'd be entitled to. Sure, the state would see an influx in taxes. but it would also have to begin working for them. And the reason, the biggest reason why this would never happen is who really wants to kick this hornet's nest? Look, the tweets are cute so you can get on Fox News. It's great for him that he's able to say, look, I stuck up to for against woke Disney and I didn't flinch. But nobody, nobody is pulling this Jenga tile out. By the ghost of Walt himself, the Reedy Creek Improvement District will be preserved. We've got a campaign video roundup, a campaign video roundup. The primaries are coming and you are watching TV. And so you're seeing a lot of these things and probably on Hulu, too, if you don't have the service without ads. And YouTube, probably YouTube as well. Anyway, uh, most of these are attack ads, but the first one isn't. Raphael Warnock is currently in a big old fight for his recently won Senate seat. Uh, remember, he got that uh, in two in 2020, and now because it was he's serving out a term, he now has to uh, win it for himself. Uh, we're just going to go ahead and play the ad, and then I'm, I'm going to explain why I find fascinating about it. I was diagnosed with diabetes 19 years ago. And I was diagnosed with diabetes 16 years ago. I rely on insulin every day of my life. If I did not have it, I would not be sitting here today. The insulin hasn't changed. The price has changed. The drug companies are making the money, and that's a shame. When I heard that Senator... Warnock had a plan to cap the cost of insulin at $35. I thought it was a godsend. Even though he's only been there less than a lot of people, he took it upon himself. Finally, there's someone out there who's thinking about the little man. Reverend Warnock understands the need for the people who are, are diabetics, people who have medical problems. It's a matter of life and death for myself and for my best friend, my husband. It could really save a lot of lives. I'm Raphael Warnock, and I approve this message. Notice what was not said in that ad. 
No mention of a massive social safety net. No mention of the president, prominent Democrats, or even Stacey Abrams, who's running for governor in his state. It's a simple pitch. If you or someone in your life relies on insulin, then they will have more money in their pocket because I, Raphael Warnock, am fighting to cap insulin prices. When you can't tap into a national brand, make your own. Uh, It's never the most successful strategy, but it is at least doing no harm. By the way, in the latest poll, Herschel Walker is leading Raphael Warnock by 4%. Let's swing on up to Ohio, where I'm going to be in a couple of weeks following these two. An embarrassing blow-up that we played right here on this show between frontrunners Mike Gibbons and Josh Mandel during a forum has resulted in a pair of dueling ads. We're going to start with Mandel, who fired the first shot. He is going to shame Gibbons for his performance during that dust-up that led to two dudes acting like they were going to fight. It was so embarrassing. But during that, Mandel shames Gibbons for daring to insinuate that serving in the military isn't quote-unquote real work. The voice that you're going to hear is not Mandel. It is a veteran. Josh doesn't understand this because he never spent a day in the private sector. Disgraceful. He doesn't appreciate what the military does overseas on deployment because he doesn't know he hasn't done it. And I know that for a fact he would have never said that. I'm too busy working. For this guy to imply fighting, getting shot at, dying, that it's not work, that's more than work. Mike Gibbons should be ashamed of himself. He owes Josh Mandel and everyone else that served the United States military a direct apology. But two can play at that game. He's lying. Josh Mandel launched attack ads claiming that Mike Gibbons doesn't respect military service. The very week Mike's son was deployed overseas. Josh Mandel tells lies because Mike Gibbons told the truth. That Mandel is a 25-year career politician with no business experience. Mandel exploits military service to score dishonest political points. Josh Mandel, I served our country, not your career. Gibbons volleys back with his own veteran who goes directly at Mandel for overplaying his service in the hope of political utility. Oh, man, you, you, you just, you know, whenever, whenever the, the like, like Kien Mas Mui Macho kind of stuff, whenever the, the big, like, oh, no, I, I support the veterans more. I'm, I, I am a veteran. My son's a veteran. That it's always its own special kind of nonsense. There hasn't been a poll in this race for about a month. So we are due for one. But the real clear politics average has Gibbons barely edging Mandel by less than 2%. Worth noting, though, that all of this happened, the dust-up and the ads afterward, since the last poll in this race. So uh, if it were to be shaken up, and possibly even somebody not named Mandel or Gibbons were going to break into this race, it's pretty much going to be in this next poll or never. Speaking of Ohio, let's head on over to Pennsylvania, just right up the road. Now, we've talked a lot on this podcast about the top of this race for Senate, 
between David McCormick and Dr. Mehmet Oz. Those two have gone after each other to the point where they've effectively defined the race. And somebody who's not leading right now, Kathy Barnett, pretty much cements it without realizing she does. Let's play the ad. Why has our political system turned into one that only supports candidates who have so much money themselves that they don't need the support of the people? Why do we believe it's a good idea to pick candidates to run for office who don't need us? They can fund their own campaign, buy what they want to buy, go where they want to go. They don't need us. They get picked specifically because they don't need us. And when we needed them to stand up for us, when our businesses were being shuttered, when our rights were being diminished, even when involved parents were being called domestic terrorists, who among them stood up for us. These politicians cannot serve two masters. They cannot serve you and the lobbyists. I am you. I will fight for you, your family, your businesses. I will be your voice. It's time to make a change, Pennsylvania. Vote for me, Kathy Barnett, to fight for you in the United States Senate. So go ahead and think for me, what is the message here? I mean, it's just kind of amusing. More of an observation, really. Rich people run for office more, huh? And she even mixes her metaphors at the end when she says that she will work hard for you, not the lobbyists. But that's what rich people say. If you're poor, you need the lobbyists. You're more in need of the money. You need uh, to get, I mean, look, nobody elects anyone because they are poor. They elect a poor person because only a poor person would know the issues and solutions that are popular with poor people. And the reason that the poor people know that this person knows the issues and solutions that are popular with them is because they articulate them without an actual issue. This is simply a personal attack ad when you are miles away from the fight. So with that being said, let's listen to Dr. Oz call David McCormick an idiot, huh? David McCormick is a liberal insider who sides with Biden. He's picked a number of very capable people. I really appreciated President Biden's tone. I don't appreciate Biden. In fact, President Trump appointed me to a national health panel and Biden fired me because I tell it like it is. Presidents should undergo cognitive tests. Men should not play women's sports. It's Fauci who should be fired. I'm Dr. Mehmet Oz and I approve this message. McCormick is soft on Biden. Also, a few random culture war cluster bombs just lobbed in for good measure. I mean, you talk about a guy who is rich with issues. He is he like he's got so many issues uh, that that he is just throwing them like, like just taking random shots at the end in the last five seconds of his ad. First things first, presidents need public cognition tests. And since you can't see the visual, you can't see that there's th- that that why, 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 why? video of Joe Biden playing in slow motion so he looks extra deranged. Transgender sports, which is, of course, the cause du jour. And then, of course, Fauci needs to be fired, which is a neo-classic. 
Dr. Oz is running a good campaign and McCormick's not running a bad one. They are actually both going at each other in in a very effective way. And according to the latest poll in this race, Oz and McCormick are tied by the real uh, clear politics average. McCormick is ahead by one point four. If you would like to support this show, head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. $3 level gets you two bonus episodes each and every week. $10 level gets your name read at the end of the show. More and more people are getting on. Thank you very much. I just did my taxes. I want to thank everybody personally yet again. We had our, 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 our biggest year ever last year in terms of support. It looks like this year will eclipse that. And, and for that, I am incredibly incredibly grateful. Thank you. If you can hear my voice and you are downloading this at any point before five o'clock in the afternoon, central time in or around central Texas, I would implore you to head on down to the Fang and Feather Saloon at the Crowded Barrel Distillery on the Wizard Academy campus. I don't know why the same building needs three names, but it does. You can search for any one of them and they will get you to where you need to go. Friday the 8th, which is when this comes out, between 5 and 8 p.m., there is a gathering. There at that gathering, you will see myself and PX3 regulars, Tom Merritt, Andrew Heaton, Matt Donnelly, Brian Brushwood. We're all going to be there. We're there to hang out. If you want to come and talk to everybody, that's the place to do it. There is no cover. You're just going to show up. Please support and tip the bartenders. But uh, that that is uh, the name of the game. I can't wait to see people. It's going to be great. And if you're at the Founders Day event for, uh, for, for Brian Brushwood's outfit, then I will see you there as well. So there we go. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. $3 tier gets you two bonus episodes each and every week. Conspiracy theories are fascinating. Not only because they're colorful, but also because they tend to be telling. What are we worried about? What two dots are so curious you can't help but draw the circuitous route to connect them? Why do they show up and are they more prevalent when we are in collective pain. This is the work of one of our favorite guests, Joseph Uzinski from the University of Miami. He joins us now. Welcome back to the show, Joe. Thank you for having me again. <laughs> well, it is uh, uh, always good. I mean, conspiracy theories are just so so fun to talk about, or at least, I don't know, I find them fun. Other people, I guess, find them deadly serious, but, but uh, it's my show, so I get to do what I want. Uh, uh, all right. We had a conversation earlier this week uh, talking about kind of the lessons that we had learned through COVID and and things that we thought were true that didn't turn out to be true, things that we thought weren't true that did. A lot of uncertainty, but also the biggest thing that stuck with me from that interview was the idea that everyone's been through a lot. Uh, this has been, this has had a cost 
for everybody, no matter what station of, of, of life you are in or what you were doing before, everybody's life was different afterward. And it got me thinking about other periods in American history when this was also the case. And really the one that is closest to us time-wise is the late 60s and 70s, where you had multiple assassinations of very famous figures. You had cataclysmic political stuff with Watergate. And the mid-70s, at least from my pop culture understanding of this, certainly not the scholarly research that you have done, is that that period tends to be thought of as the kind of golden age of conspiracies, that that they had run, run rampant. Some of the most enduring conspiracy theories were kind of minted there. And my thought was, well, is that the result of shared trauma, that everybody goes through something shocking, everybody's trying to make sense of it? And if that is the case, are we going through it now? So let's start with the premise. Is the the, the 70s as the product of, of the chaos of the 60s, the golden age of conspiracies by your research? No. And okay. it, but I will say this. It's sort of hard to know, right? Because people like me weren't around in the 1970s. Yes. I mean, I guess I was, but I was, you know, two. Um, <laughs> so I wasn't doing any polling then. And yeah. the social scientists at the time, they were polling on other things, not so much conspiracy theories. So we do know that there were conspiracy theories at the time. And there are some measurements taken of how many people believed them. But it's just so sparse that it's really hard to say that that's the age or that's not the age of conspiracy yeah. theorizing. And, and and here's the thing. I mean, you can come up with a good reason why it was the 1970s. You had Watergate, Vietnam, mm -hmm. the assassinations of the 1960s. But you could come up with a good reason just as good for any other decade. I mean, why wouldn't it be the 1950s with the Red Scare? Yeah. Or the yeah. or the early uh, uh, 1800s with the Freemason freakouts and the Illuminati panics. Why not before the United States United when we were crushing and drowning witches for conspiring with Satan? <laughs> you know, so so that's the thing is when you get into it and you say, well, why this decade and not another decade? You start figuring out that there's always some sort of episode yeah. that has a lot of conspiracy theories attached to it. And it would sort of say, well, maybe one decade isn't all that different from another. You know, I, I guess part of that understanding is that the media tended to be our movies, our television shows of that era tended to be conspiratorially minded like that. That was a popular idea to explore in our in our modern kind of folklore. But you're right. There's no reason why, you know, the application and funding uh, both with money and human lives of two world wars wouldn't be more traumatic. I mean, if, if the, if the murder of politicians and presidents is traumatic, which not taking away the, the fact that it was certainly every, but every eligible male from your block leaving and going to war would also be something that, that would, uh, would, would, would certainly be traumatic. I mean, there were conspiracy theories surrounding the American Revolution, the Civil War, World War One and Two, the Cold War. Um, so, so this stuff is much more. You know, once you start adding it all together, it seems much more like a constant across yeah. history than it does. Oh, this is the age. And when you look at scholars who are trying to sort of piece together from historical episodes, 
which time was the most conspiratorial. They all disagree. Like some people really? say, oh, it was, it, yeah, it was before World War II. It was after World War II. It was now. It was 200 years ago. You know, so they, they all sing a different tune, right? So the only way to really solve this problem is to get some sort of data on it. And unfortunately, yeah. you know, surveys have only been taken for, you know, a little bit under 100 years. And they've only been pulling on conspiracy theories for a fraction of that. So... Can I ask you just in general, how, how do you quantify a conspiracy theory? Is it the amount of people that believe it, the longevity of how long it is something that people register, or or is it the kind of edge cases of where people will take it? Therefore, I guess, assuming that, that you're proving that it is like kind of more believable than something that is sort of held in mirth. So there's a lot of ways to do it. None of them are great. Right. So let me just start by saying when people come to me and say, well, is it the golden age of conspiracy theory? Well, my first question is, well, what does the golden age of conspiracy look like? How would I know it if I was in it? What are the exact metrics that would lead us to say that? Because a lot of what we're getting now is someone licks their thumb, puts it to the wind and says, oh, now's the time. Yeah. But the problem is we have evidence of people doing that all the time. Like you could find journalists in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s in the last two decades saying now's the time. So it's always the time, according to journalists. Yeah. Right. But but they never have any evidence or even present a metric for why now is indeed the time. And it can't always be the time. Um, So the easiest way to do it, if you said, well, is conspiracy theory X increasing or not? And then I could go and poll conspiracy theory X, see what percentage of the public is believing it, do that over time, and then see what the trajectory is. So if it's going up or if it's if it's going down or staying the same, then we could sort of say this particular one is flat or going up or 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 whatnot. And I have done that. Mm-hmm. With a lot of conspiracy theories. I even went back to the old Roper archives of surveys that had been taken decades ago Uh and got the numbers for the small number that had been polled on. And for the, I polled on about 50 conspiracy theories and the vast majority are either flat or going down. Very few are going up and the increases are marginal at best, but the decreases over time for the ones that are going down tend to be fairly large. Yeah. So when people say this is the golden age, I say if we're judging by how many people believe particular conspiracy theories, then the answer is no. It seems like a certain amount of people are going to believe whatever theory for whatever reason mm-hmm. that sort of stays flat generally. And then as whatever the, uh, the subject of the conspiracy theory is fades into time, it eventually dips. Right. In, in, yeah. In your research, can you compare conspiracy theories? Like, can we say like either by some kind of metric, can we, can we like compare the CIA killed Kennedy versus a uh, uh, building seven was an inside job? Like, is there, is there any way to say that to put these two next to each other and, and uh, heat map them? Well, we can compare them in the sense that we can compare how many people believe each of those propositions, we yeah. can put them both in a survey and see how many people buy into each. We can also compare them in terms of who's believing in each, right? Yeah. Are they attracting different audiences? 
Right. So, so we can know those things. But there's no and, like historical record to say like, all right, well, on, on a track record, you know, the, the Kennedy thing is, has held X firm versus the 9-11 conspiracy that has held Y firm. Well, with Kennedy, I can say this. So they, they started polling on Kennedy shortly after the assassination. So only a few weeks after the fact, we have our first poll taken in December of 63. And at that point, 50, five, zero percent of Americans believed it was a conspiracy rather than a lone gunman. Okay. That increased because they were, this got polled on intermittently for the last uh, six decades. So throughout the 1970s, that increased. By 1975, it was 80% of Americans believed it was a conspiracy rather than a lone gunman. Stayed that way, uh, looks like through the late 90s and has only come down. In the last 20 years, and if you poll on it now, you get between 45 and 55%. So it's about back to where it started. Oh, but wow. The 70s, 80s, 90s, it was, it was very high. Now, why is that? I mean, you would expect that if we're conspiracy theorizing about somebody who was killed decades ago, that those should be going down. It's like, who's talking about the McKinley assassination now, right? Not a lot <laughs> like, of people. Like, who's the McKinley? One, the, the, yeah, the, the, the one dude who was running the x-ray booth in, in Buffalo, New York. That's it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. So you would expect it would have gone down, but why did it go up? Well, there's probably a lot of reasons for it, but it it it, it largely comes down to the fact that it has stayed culturally relevant. Um. So you had the Oliver Stone movie. Mm-hmm. Now we've got another Oliver Stone movie. <laughs> you, you've had multiple TV specials. Every November, we're talking more about the conspiracy theories than we talk about the about the assassination or, or about his presidency. Yeah, and it, it it just seems to be the case that this is part of our culture. And yeah. interestingly, anyone can believe it. It's not confined to just the left or just the right. Like Democrats aren't going to believe Obama faked his birth certificate, but Democrats and Republicans can think that somebody knocked off Kennedy for some grand reason. Yeah, it does have a a bipartisan quality to it. And I think partly because in in looking, you know, in covering that and in, in researching it for a podcast that I did, the Republican, the idea that a Republican shot Kennedy was ruled out fairly quickly like within 24 hours of of the assassination you have a lot of movement and the fact that that uh, Oswald is not a like registered John Birch society guy means that the, the 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 world moves on and now it's far more about the CIA and the mafia you know than it is about the the republicans otherwise i think we would probably well, see a that's more part, well that's bisection. part of it yeah I mean, that's yeah. part of it. So when you ask now and you say, do you think there was a conspiracy? And then you follow up and say, well, who do you think did it? It's a few percent think it was the CIA, a few percent say it was <laughs> Russia, a few percent say it was Castro. So everyone's sort of divided. And a lot of the people who think it was a conspiracy don't know who did it. They're like, I don't know, but something funny happened. Yeah. Right. And if you trace this back, I mean, there were members of the left who were who, people on the left saying, well, we just can't stomach the fact that it was somebody on the far left who killed a Democratic president. Yeah. So they were looking for a scapegoat on the right. Yeah. Maybe not necessarily Republican, but the military industrial complex. Somebody. Yeah, somebody. 
some sort of fascist conservative <laughs> something in some institution that they didn't like, the CIA or the military, right? Um, or Johnson. <laughs> or Johnson. Yeah. yeah. Just exactly. as people, just as people on the right believed it was groups that they already didn't like who were behind it, like the communists, mm -hmm. the socialists, whoever. I think also the thing about, and of course, this is like totally derailed everything else that I wanted to talk about. We'll, we'll, we'll get to COVID in a second. But I think the other thing that makes the Kennedy stuff so enduring is that there is a perceived, if you want to look at it, like tidiness to it, that it's a lone gunman, that the lone gunman is killed before anything can happen. Like, I don't know if Lee Harvey Oswald went to trial and he was just kind of a quiet loner weirdo who barely says anything in court and then, you know, is, is sentenced to death in, in Texas. If it's the same enduring reaction as it is where he gets killed immediately. And then the guy who kills him gets killed uh, uh, like that, that I think leads people to say like, well, you know, I don't know if anything went on, but it's certainly if it, if something did go on, that's how it would look to you know clean up the ed, the 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 loose ends in a Hollywood, very easy narrative to understand kind of way. Maybe it's just hard to know. It's hard because, to know. Yeah, can't prove and, a negative. And, and here's the thing: I often get this question, like, you know, planes will occasionally crash. Um, some plane crashes attract a lot of conspiracy theories. Others don't. Yeah. Question is why? I don't know. <laughs> right. There's always some some set of contextual factors that sort of drive this. Right. And um, they're going to be different every time. So just it's the same thing with assassinations. You'll have an assassination. Well, why are there conspiracy theories about this one and not that one? Well, it could have something to do with, you know, the context around the assassination, what the details were. You know, what do we learn from the assassin after the fact, if anything? Um but that's going to be different in every in every case, and some of them will spark more conspiracy theorizing, and some won't. But I, but I think with Kennedy, I mean that certain. I'm not going to say that doesn't have anything to do with it. Yeah. it certainly does. Yeah. But I would say, I mean, if everyone ignored it, if everyone ignored the assassination, then we wouldn't be engaged in the conspiracy theories, right? But we, yeah. we, we're not. We're always talking about it, and it's just part of our culture. So it just sort of keeps – it's a machine that just drives itself now. All right. So if maybe the, the, the 70s and, and there being a golden age of conspiracies is a hotly disputed thing, let's drill down on on the kernel of of what I was trying to get at, which is – is there any kind of statistical correlation between large scale shared trauma and conspiracy theories? Uh, that I don't know. I mean, there it is the case that when traumatic things happen, there will be conspiracy theories about them. Yeah. Um, but here's the thing. There's conspiracy theories about everything. Yeah. And I think what we've been doing lately is trying to put a lot of weight on either an event like a pandemic or mm -hmm. a financial crash or whatever, and on the ideas themselves, rather than putting emphasis on the people who tend to believe these ideas, right? Because 
if you think of conspiracy theory beliefs as the product of individuals' worldviews and mm-hmm. their personality traits and their other beliefs, um, then you start to focus on individuals, on people. Say, well, why do they believe that? Well, because they have a worldview that is conducive to that idea. So they are likely to con- concoct ideas like that or to believe ideas like that when they are exposed to them. So if we're if we're just focusing on events and things like that, then we're searching for grander explanations, I think, than there really needs to be. Mm. And, and here's the interesting thing with COVID. Yeah. I mean, the numbers on, I mean... Here's the thing. As a social scientist, I would love to do crazy things in experiments, right? But the university <laughs> won't let me. Sure. <laughs> like there are, you know, there, there are international agreements on the things scientists can't do. Exactly. Right? As a conspiracy theory researcher, what COVID did was essentially put everyone in a laboratory and crank every dial to an 11 that yep. could possibly get them to believe in conspiracy theory, or at least every dial that we would hypothesize to bring people to believe in conspiracy theories. We cranked up stress. We cranked up um, um, economic catastrophe. We cranked up, you know, danger by having a, a you know, a disease that can kill you. Unknown origins, political inflammation, nationalism and, and international intrigue uh, uh, from uh, the lack of an understanding of, of the, the source of the virus. Like there's, yeah, you're right. It, it was, <laughs> you know, dare I say, either made in a lab or zoonotically transmitted to be the perfect social science experiment. Everything that could have been done. Yeah. That we thought prior to the pandemic to get people to believe in conspiracy theories was essentially done by the pandemic. Yeah. And the results were sort of middling. Right. And and here's yeah. the interesting thing. The, the conspiracy theories about COVID-19 weren't really interesting. And they were largely a continuation of what was going on prior to the pandemic. Right. It was almost like a Mad Lib, like take the same conspiracy theory you believed in 2019 and just plug in some new thing. So 2019, George Soros is going to take over the world. In 2020, it was Bill Gates. Yeah. In 2019, the MMR vaccine's a hoax. Now it's the COVID vaccine, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you can go on and on and on. It's the same thing. Even the things that sounded wacky and new, like, oh, they think 5G spreads COVID. Well, <laughs> Two weeks ago, they said 5G was cooking our brains and giving us cancer. So it was the same people saying the same stuff with just a different noun (laughs) thrown into the theory. And, and, and that's sort of the thing. So when we, when we track, I already gave you the numbers on Kennedy conspiracy theories. Yep. Um, But when we were tracking COVID-19 conspiracy theories, those were middling. I mean, when we asked, um, starting in March of 2020, is COVID-19 being exaggerated for political purposes to hurt President Trump? About 30%. Yeah. Yeah. Is it uh, being intentionally spread um, to hurt people, like a bioweapon? 30%. Yeah. Yeah. And those numbers stayed flat, yeah. repeatedly yeah. polling through the two years afterwards. So it's just not it's just not the case that as things got worse from March to say June or July of 2020, that these beliefs were going up, up, up. 
And it's not the case that as there was more and more misinformation and conspiracy theories online, that beliefs followed and that more and more people were believing these things and that they quote unquote spread. Yeah. Right. So, so what we found was like, yeah, some people were going to believe these things who believed them was largely predictable based on the content of the theory and what those individuals worldviews were. And um, it doesn't seem like the conspiracy theories and misinformation on social media really did anything. You know, I, I think this is a fascinating idea because if the concept of all right, so if if we're not going to think of it as shared trauma, but rather just events that a lot of people know about, more people know about the results of the Super Bowl than they know the results of a, you know, a, a middle of the season game for a community college, right? So if larger issues have just have more of a blanket coverage, then the let's just use that number, the thirty percent that you know, in times of peace, they're going to believe that Avril, Avril Levine was a clone in times of war. They're going to believe that, that, you know, COVID was uh, uh, intentionally spread by George Soros. Uh, uh, it's not necessarily that they're happening more. It's just that we're more aware of them because we have the context of the event itself. And, and we just hear it more and, and see it more. It's not necessarily like more or less people are believing in it. That's right. And we got to be very careful with something is that we don't want to confuse the fact that we can see something with the idea that there's more of it. Mm. Right. Social media makes it easy for us to see conversations that we never would have seen before. Yeah. Like if you and I would have shared a conspiracy theory 40 years ago, it would have been done at the water office water cooler. Yeah. And it's gone with the wind. But now I'll put it on Twitter and it's there. So anyone who wants to go look at it can go and look at it. That, that's, you know, it's, so that funny you mean, it, it's, it's, so, yeah, it's so funny you put it like that because that's always one of my favorite things when everybody's like, oh, but uh, look at all the crazy stuff that happens. And it's like, this stuff has been said at bars forever. If there were a public record of everything that has been said at a bar, it would raise the hair on the back of your neck. It just so happens that our modern version of this collection of people is online. And guess what? Not only is it semi-permanent, it's searchable. And we have an incentive yeah. from our media to find it and present it to people because it's crazy stuff. It was crazy stuff then. It's crazy stuff now. It's just easier to display. That's that's it. And, you know, I gave you the numbers on Kennedy conspiracy polls, but, you know, I don't find that most conspiracy theories come near that. Yeah. Like I'm, that's one of the still one of the most believed things I pull on. Most conspiracy theories are about 20, 30 points under that. Mm -hmm. And even some conspiracy theories that we think are really popular are, are well under that. So it's just it's just not the case that every conspiracy theory is going up, up, up or that now is the time where everyone's believing these new conspiracy theories more than they have conspiracy theories in the past. And, and here's the interesting thing. Journalists call me all the time and they're like, there's a new conspiracy theory on Twitter and I'm really concerned about it. And I say, well, why? <laughs> and they say, because everyone's going to see it and everyone's going to believe it. And I say, well, did you see it? And they say, yeah. And I say, so you believe it. And they say, no. Yeah. And I say, what makes you so special? 
What's your superpower that the rest of us idiots don't have? How come you can resist persuasive influence, but the rest of us can't? Yeah. Right? And, and it comes down to this thing that's not just for journalists, but everyone has this. Yes, people, who's affected by fake news? Not us. It's everyone not else. Me. No. Yeah. I mean, we're smart. You know, I know truth from falsehoods. No one else does. Yeah. So all that nonsense on social media is affecting everybody but me. But everybody says that. <laughs> right. It so is, we're, in sort of nuts. A, yeah. we're in sort of a moral panic about the influence of conspiracy theories and misinformation because we think everyone else is such a dupe that they're always getting tricked. But that's just not the case. And we're probably getting duped just as much as anyone else. So but but there's another point to be made about social media is that. You know, a lot of people, people are self-selecting into these environments. Yeah. So what you see on Twitter is not just a slice of Americana. It's a particular set of people. And those mm -hmm. who are loudest tend to have political and personality characteristics that make them different from everyone else. Right. So when you see crazy things going on on Twitter, it's because it's, you know, and I'll say this colloquially, crazy people, not, <laughs> not. Not this is representative of all Americans. It's very important to remember that. It is very important to remember, especially when we're talking about social media, that uh, whether by accident or intentionality, that not only is it a certain type of personality, but it's also certain types and frequency of messages that respond to the algorithm that promote the messages that, you know, uh, uh, wind up creating these personalities that that wind up going the farthest. Uh, uh, all right. Let me let me ask you this then with with would, would the Kennedy uh, assassination be the the most enduring conspiracy theory or is there anything else? As far uh, as I can, as far as I can see. Yeah. Right. It's, so if you were to say, what's the quintessential American conspiracy theory of our time? I should say that's it. Yeah. Right. And because pretty much everybody knows it. It's believed still seemingly by a majority, um, and it's 60 years after the fact. Will it stay at those numbers? I don't know. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll, 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 on my deathbed, I guess I'll take my final read <laughs> and find out. <laughs> and figure it out. All right. Is there a steep drop off to number two, or or is there is there anything else that is uh, in that neighborhood in terms of the, the So longevity? in the neighborhood right now, like like Epstein – conspiracy theories all yeah. around the same if that will endure i have no idea yeah because i think we'll I think get that, to a few that, years that, from now news, it's going to be like news dependent thing yeah who's gonna who's epstein they're gonna say five years from now um but that is for a similar reason as kennedy yeah. right the high numbers because you have people on the right saying, well, Clinton must have killed him. Yep. And then people on the left saying Trump killed him. Trump killed so, him. Yep. So people on either side can concoct their own reason um, why he was killed so they can make it compatible with their, their own political ideologies. Exactly. When all of us big galaxy brains know that the queen killed him. Uh, uh, anything else in that, uh, uh, in that, in that top five uh, of, of, of things that are polling around that number? I mean, that's that's about it. If you I, I think you can get a little bit closer if you have a proposition like one percent secretly controls the government and the economy. Okay. So the sort okay. of Bernie Sanders sort of thing. Um, 
or there's secret dangers to GMOs. I think you get, okay. you get almost so poison, there. The food is poisoning us. The people are controlling us. Yeah. Um, and then, and then what's more interesting to me mm-hmm. are the conspiracy theories that we think are really popular, but actually aren't. That are just way like, overblown. Yeah. So, so when people say, oh, what are the top conspiracy theories? I mean, there was an article done by Time Magazine a few years ago, and they said, what are the top 10 conspiracy theories of all time? Mm-hmm. And like one of them was the lizard people conspiracy theory. That that shape shifting yeah, lizards yeah. are actually the president and the queen of England and all this stuff and they control yeah, the world. Yeah. I mean, this is there. There's some believers, but the only poll I've seen on this puts it at like four percent with a margin of error of four percent. So, <laughs> so that's that's sort of the thing. Um, oftentimes, when I say to Americans, imagine conspiracy theories. What comes? What theories come to mind? They'll often say, "Oh, the moon landing was faked." We all okay. recognize it a conspiracy theory, but very few Americans believe it. So that polls between five and ten percent. Wow! Usually, why? It's an interesting question. What I surmise is this: is that um, the moon landing is a point of pride for Americans. Okay. So, so they're not going to jump on the idea that we faked it. Only a small number who really think that the government is entirely corrupt. Yeah, um, or Kubrick fans. Yeah, or a Kubrick fan. But when you go to France and you you, yeah. you do that yeah. poll, you get three times that amount saying, <laughs> yeah, the Americans faked it, which makes perfect sense, right? Of course, of course. Oh, those French, rascally yeah, French. Now, now, here's the most interesting one to me, where you have the biggest divide between media coverage and what decent polls are showing, mm-hmm. and that's QAnon. So there were three big claims made about QAnon, particularly during during COVID-19. One, that it was big. Um, The other was that it was getting bigger. And the third, that it was far right. Yeah. Right. So, and if you read the headlines, they were constantly saying this. Oh, far right fringe conspiracy theory goes mainstream. Now, just think about that for a moment, because how can something be both far right and fringe and mainstream at the exact same time? It can't. It doesn't make any sense. So, I mean, there were polls taken of this prior to 2020 when news coverage of QAnon sort of blew up. And it showed that very few people knew anything about it. Of the people that knew something, most of them were hearing it through the New York Times and and Mm -hmm. Washington Post and whatnot, not from 4chan. Um, and that there were very few believers, like 5%. So throughout 2020 and 2021, I've been repeatedly polling um, to see what's the trajectory of this. It never went up. Yeah. Right. And it stayed around five, 6% at most. Um, and when we measured it in alternative ways, like with a feeling thermometer, um, like rate QAnon on a scale from zero to a hundred, I mean, yeah. when we first did it in 2018, it averaged about a 24, which is not a stunning endorsement. And to put that yeah. in context, yeah. we ran the poll in Florida, and we also asked people to rate Fidel Castro. Which, and if yeah. you know anything it, about, it, it, yeah. if you are if you are not familiar, and I'm I'm from South Florida, so it is very, you know, Fidel Castro is is effectively Hitler. Like to met to yeah. especially to, to built into the fabric of South Florida is the idea that Fidel Castro is the the absolute devil incarnate. Yeah, so when he died, everyone was running around dancing in the streets and blah, blah, blah. Banging pots and pans, Castro, yes. Yeah, Castro came out about two points 
worse than QAnon. So again, there's no, <laughs> there's no endorsement of this. And then just repeating this over and over again, it's gone down and not up. Yeah. So yeah. it just isn't the case that, you know, and if you read, if you read the claims in the news, it's like QAnon now bigger than some religions, you know, 50 million people or the entire Republican party is QAnon. It's, it's crazy. And it's sort of conflating QAnon with every conspiracy theory that's out there. And a lot of it is due to just lousy polls, getting the most fantastic results yeah. and those fantastic results, getting the most headlines. You know, I think just, just to wrap us up, I, I, I wonder if the, the modern media landscape that we have, not only with social media, but also just the fact that there's not a whole lot of King media in the way that we used to have it in, in one nightly news broadcast or one daily paper that used to be read every, every morning. Uh, we're all sectioning out into our own worlds. And so therefore there is probably less context for why the things are happening because we see things coming in different ways because we're all, like you mentioned on social media, uh, fractioned out uh, uh, to the point where like when, you know, let's say, you know, Trump winning the election, which seems to at least have stirred interest in conspiracies like QAnon, because, the, the you know, to me, that was the predicate to the subject of why did Donald Trump win QAnon? You know, uh, uh, there's just this need to connect the dots. And, and that, to me, I think, is the heart of all conspiracies is, well, if I have these two points of data, you know, my cancer exists and 5g just got installed on my phone. Uh, uh, then, then there needs to be a, a line that is drawn no matter how ridiculous the, the, the angles need to be to get there. And I wonder if part of our own understanding is, you know, at least making us aware of them or fascinated by them, because even if they don't exist in any higher numbers, as you've, I think very credibly pointed out that it's the same 30% that just kind of, looks to believe these things, no matter what they might be, that our our search for them seems at least to me more acute because we're just looking to understand our world and there's less of a collective understanding of it. Maybe, right? I mean, I, I we, a lot of people say, oh my God, we're all in our own silos. And that's true regardless of our media environment. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of funny is we've all, we're thinking everybody's caught in echo chambers and some people are. Yeah. That's absolutely true. Yeah. Some people are. So they're living in a completely different world than folks in a different echo chamber, but most people aren't paying attention. <laughs> they don't know yeah. what's going on. Yeah. They're not, you know, so, you know, when we blame Fox news for things, I mean, how many people are watching Fox news? Oh yeah, I, mean, I, I mean, think about I, it. It's I, like, I, oh my God, it's everyone, but it's like, oh, a million or two at a time, and it's it's yeah, just not it's, it's not it what is, what we think it is. That is a fascinating thing that usually happens on the left is finding the one conservative outlet for which is causing everything that is happening on the planet, and therefore making them the most powerful people on the planet. Like, like, hey, Q is a great example. Whatever s posters are are running the Q account, we have now made into like. You know, uh, uh, Goebbels. We, we've now made them the yeah. most powerful uh, uh, people on 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 the planet in terms of propaganda, which I think is is just a fascinating turn of events. I mean, it's sort of funny because if you see a headline, it's like twenty million people are now Q believers, but it's like that's more people than are watching Fox News. So you're telling me that more people are on Eight Chan than are watching yeah, Fox. Yeah. It's like, come on. 
I mean, and I don't want to downplay any of this and say that it's all good. I mean, it's not. And I would prefer people have beliefs that are more tightly tethered to the truth. But yeah, it doesn't yeah. serve anyone to sort of exaggerate what the real problems are. Well, that, so. and, and, you know, I, I do think that it perverts some news coverage from my perspective. You know, there was that Q branch that that was out in Dallas that was like waiting for JFK Jr. to show up. And then. Hey, it wasn't a lot of people. It was like 27 people. And when people actually reported on it, it's like, no, this is a cult. This is just it's like every other cult. There's a leader and people are paying money into it. And there's probably, you know, a sex thing to it. Like it was just like any other it, it's uh, cults in the way that they happen throughout our our, our society and have for, for a long time. But because it had the cue thing to it and now it wasn't just a cult it was oh this is the most sinister sign of this underground movement that everybody believes in like we're whispering hail hydra into our in, in, into everybody's ears <laughs> like that was that was the 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 news hook on it when really it was just a sad story about a cult in the way that a lot of cults are really sad stories yeah i mean there have been groups like this for a long time and like the LaRouche group it's still around. Yeah. Lyndon LaRouche is dead, but they're still around. I get I get their emails. And, <laughs> you know, they believe almost, I don't want to say the same stuff, but very similar stuff. You know, the Queen of England really controls the world and yeah. there's going to be nuclear Armageddon tomorrow and all of this, all of these weird things. And we see them in every major city. Because they, yeah. they're, they're out protesting quite, quite often. They'll have a person or two with a... I guess what they had for a while was a picture of Obama with a Hitler mustache and these things, mm -hmm. but they're all out there. It's just, we tend not to pay attention to them. It's just lately we're concerned about the fringes and we're overestimating their size and influence. Well, uh, never overestimated uh, uh, or underestimated rather is uh, our <laughs> appreciation for Joe Uzinski of the University of Miami. Uh, uh, always great to check in with you and uh, I hope to do it again soon. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to talk to us. If people want to follow up with you, uh, what is the best way to do it? At Joe Uzinski on Twitter and uh, JoeUzinski.com. All right, everybody go ahead and uh, uh, read his book. It's great. I read it. It's fantastic. Full endorsement. Uh, uh, thanks again for coming on, Joe. Hope to speak to you soon. Thanks. Have a good one. Politics, politics, politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. This show was edited by Brett Stewart. You can thank... Mr. Yuzinski at px3guest.com. If you'd like to email the show, it is theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Our Twitter is px3tweets. Our Twitch is px3live, where I am live Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can share this podcast, px3podcast.com. Our merch can be found at politicsmerch.com. If you would like to support us, you can do so via a one-time donation, paypal.me slash payjury, P-A-Y-J-U-R-Y. My Venmo is justin-young-20. Cash app is px3cash. And if you'd like to send me anything in the mail, you can do so, P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. Again, make it out to Justin Young, P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. 
Of course, you can only get bonus content at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week covering all the news that we miss on our free podcast schedule. And the $10 tier gets your name read at the end of the show like these fine folks in the Titanic. $10 tier. Persons familiar with the matter, Andres, Unsafe TV, Levels, Idris, Arslandian, DJ, Katie Mack, Meister, Dr. G, Admiral Flapjack, Utah, Jimmy, Montana, Edmund, Pluribus, Unum, Pete Spicery, 70s TV salesman, or spy. D, really? And Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. Zombie Doc, Edison, no mention on the podcast, please. Dotcom Junkie, DP4 Bongo, Jewish Lives Matter, 100 Mile Runner, Staff Sergeant Poopers, Berkeley Steven, Diana Silent Slumbers, Katie Adam, Double K Ranch, Yo Pinball Shop, John, The Opposable Thumbs for Dogs Foundation, Super Zoomy, Neil. Charles, Darren, Olin, and Angela, DL, Stephen, Chad, Matt, Miranda, Janelle, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul, Dustin, Richard, D. Laser, Just Another Pilot, Middle-Aged Mike, The Jen, J-Pink, and Andrew. If you would like to join their ranks, there's only one place to go. TakePoliticsSeriously.com Guys, we got next week, and then I'm off to Ohio. Covering this race for you. For you. It's going to be pretty awesome. Till then, though, this is your old pal, Justin Robert Young, saying, uh, have a great weekend. Sun is out. Time to maybe go shopping for shorts, some flops. That's what I'm talking about. Slather that sunscreen on. I love it. Till next time. Your old pal, Justin Robert Young, saying... uh, Some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more discuss politics. But this is the only show that dares discuss all three. Dog and Pony Show Audio.